Chris Ballard, presser time. Gotta love it. Great candid comments, per usual, from the general manager of the Indianapolis Colts. So that means Chris Presley and I are back. Another edition of Kevin's Corner. A few kind of emergency pods lately, you know, after the Buffalo game. And obviously the Anthony Costanzo news earlier earlier in the week. So happy to be back in studio. And uh, Chris, wow. Um, the offseason, <laughs> I never really feel like it quiets down until man like late january it's just there's always something you know you got the end of the year pressers obviously you had a retirement happen this week uh you have kind of coaching dominoes that also happen as well so um again i I think those are all just um just parts of the off season but um i think we've got a great podcast today recapping what 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 chris had to say and we'll get into twitter questions as well yeah and it was enjoyable i watched it on um oh what's the the one platform Periscope. Periscope. Yeah, Twitter action. And, yeah. and it was cool to see other other uh, Colts fans comment along as it was going through. And, and just kind of seeing how honest Chris Ballard and how passionate he just always is with every answer. And not afraid to cuss and not afraid <laughs> to kind of be himself. And I don't know if – I don't feel like it's like just because he's sitting behind a Zoom camera, which sometimes can make you a little bit more comfortable. But I think he won a lot of people over even more so – that were happy with how candid his answers were. Yeah, no, he's extremely candid, and, and I appreciate that. Uh, and I say extremely candid compared to his, you know, his other um, GMs around the league. Um, and, and he is a passionate individual, and I have said it before, and I will say it again. I think Chris Bowden and Frank Reich are um, two very well-equipped human beings to get this done. It's not going to be easy. Um, there's a great foundation in place, but um, certainly some big decisions. But, again, I think both of those guys – uh, working together, especially, we'll be able to to get this done. So let's start with the Philip Rivers chatter from today's presser, and uh, feel free to interject whenever, Chris, about anything that maybe stood out to you from Ballard's presser. Um, basically, my biggest takeaway from Philip Rivers and all the questions thrown at him is this: both parties will take the next month to make a decision, flat out. Like, and, and again, we need to reiterate. And Chris said this today. Philip Rivers told Chris he's not 100% that he wants to come back. And Chris is like, oh, you you need to be 100%. So, like, you go take a month, and we're going to take a month because I've got to do my own job. And, and rightfully so. And I, I think that is something you have to appreciate if you're a fan, that Chris Ballard is going to do his homework, and he's going to task Frank Reich and Nick Sirianni and quarterbacks coach Marcus Brady to go look at every freaking quarterback mm-hmm. that could be available via trade, via free agency, via the draft, and you go see what's out there. Right. And so I think that is something that maybe we just kind of overlook. But again, both parties have to make this decision. They're going to take a month. I think that's something that's notable as well. Some people have been curious about what that timeline looks like. Uh, That still leaves you, you know, what, several weeks before free agency to go ahead and make a move there. So that was probably what initially stood out to me um, from that. And um, Phillips still has to look at a doctor, which he said. So about the toe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So some yeah. that I don't. That's not a huge injury, but you never know. Towards the end of your career, sometimes once you start getting nicked up, you're like, you know what? Let's just call it. And I'm glad you brought that up because something that Chris again really drove home Rivers related was this: if Philip was 35 years old, or certainly 30 years old, he'd be back like a slam dunk. Yeah. I mean, and so age is real. Father time is real. Just because he's been insanely durable doesn't mean that you ignore that. And that's something I think you have to appreciate as well. And the Colts are going to look long and hard at, 
you know, what is the sustained success that we that 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 phrase that you always hear? The Rivers thing is one, maybe, maybe two more years, and I and I stress maybe big time there. Um, I thought Chris had a funny quote about. Um, he had two quotes that I, that I wanted to mention here. The first quote, he was talking more about the question was asked to him, "How close do you think you are?" And he's rattling off all the young players and you know all the young core of Pittman, Taylor, Nelson, Leonard, et cetera, et cetera. And then he says this. I think we all know the quarterback is the one that stirs the drink. So having that position settled for long-term success is going to be very important to us. Mm-hmm. I just think that's another reminder of it's on his radar. Like, you know, people ask me all the time, well, Chris Bauer doesn't trade up in drafts. He's not going to do that for a quarterback. He's not going to do it for any quarterback. But he knows what that position means to him. Now, having said that, probably one of the funnier quotes that he had of of the presser was this, and it almost seemed like he was just waiting to uh, to use this. He goes, taking one, i.e. quarterback, will get you all off my ass for a little bit, but the <laughs> second that guy doesn't play well, I'm going to be the first one run out of the building. I promise you, we get the importance of the quarterback position, but the difference in just taking one and taking the right one is the key in our minds. We will explore it. We will examine it. We'll go A to Z on it. I promise you. That position never leaves my mind, and it's something we have to get fixed. But there's got to be a lot of timing and luck that comes into play. I don't know if I've ever agreed with a quote that he's had more. I mean, that just uh, outside of him saying that Kamako Turi had a dumbass offside yes. penalty. But um, <laughs> spot on. Because, you know? he, because he's right, because he says, look, I understand that a Peyton Manning and an Andrew Luck are generational talents but that you get at the first pick. And if we're ever picking at the first pick, I'm not the general manager of this team yeah. because I've failed this team to move forward and get to what he says. They don't have a finish line, but for some fans there is a finish line. It was funny. Mark Dykton, uh, who produces the morning show, who filled in for Chris you know, a couple weeks ago, um, said, tweeted at me after that. He's like, well, a bear, uh, if you're a Bears fan, they just keep their GM after you, you know, whiff <laughs> on two or three quarterbacks. True. But, you know, Chris, I, I, I think there's a lot of validity to that statement and Obviously, when you're at 21, it's, it's a bit of no man's land. It's kind of a, uh, you know, maybe Jordan Love falls to you, but for the most part, that, that blue, blue chip guy is going to go much earlier. Uh, Ballard did say he likes the 2021 quarterback class, and uh, again, he doesn't think that sitting at 21 is going to afford you the opportunity to get that guy. Yeah. You, if you want him, you got to move up. Um, he, he made an interesting comment about mobile quarterbacks. You know, that maybe that's not necessarily, and I've said this before, I go, you know, when I asked Chris and I asked Frank, you know, for their quarterback traits kind of over the past year, they have never really said mobility is like number one, two, three on the list. Mm-hmm. Chris maybe a little bit more than Frank, but Chris basically used the phrase like, eventually you've got to win from the pocket. And that basically means Lamar Jackson at 20 is not going to look like Lamar Jackson at 34. Correct. Like, eventually you just can't sustain that ability with your legs. So, um, I don't know if I love that, to be honest with you, just because I do think that mobility and some leg factor is important and should be weighed in there. And I guess that's kind of the debate if you look at, like, these QBs. It's like, okay, a guy like Zach Wilson, who can do a little bit outside the pocket, Kyle Trask can't. You know, it, it, it it's like that sort of thing. Right. Like, does that matter less to the Colts than maybe it does some other teams? So I guess that is the whole Rivers aspect to it. They're going to look. They're going to spend the next month looking long and hard. This is not a slam dunk. You're coming back. 
No, even if Phillip calls him tomorrow and says, hey, I want to be back. Sure, the Colts want him back. They believe they can win a Super Bowl with him. That's Chris's words earlier today. But at the same time, it's not just about 2020 or 2021, I should say. Right. I mean, this is the, there is a bit of a we know full well that if we can make a move that can help us maybe a little bit longer, that has to be explored. Kevin, I also like when Chris was talking about the players that he drafts and then free agents in regards to, hey, when we have guys that we develop, we want to develop them for that next contract. And if that contract comes somewhere else, great for them. We'll try to keep them here. But if they move on to better their family, great for them. But at the same time, we're not going to go out, or if we do go out and pay a guy that we've pr- pr- that we've helped produce, we still need him to perform. Yeah. Just because you get your payday, right. no, no, no. It's it, it starts now. Yeah, the race for the second contract can't be okay. I'm good, I'm content. I can just ride off into the sunset. Right. You know, this has got to be no, no, no. What are you going to do for your third contract? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, T.Y. Hilton gets a second contract in 2015, then he leads the league in receiving in 2016. You know, I want to see guys like that. DeForest Buckner, you know, got the big contract and look at the season he just produced. Like that is, and, and the Colts are about to encounter that. They haven't really encountered much of that. I mean. Serious second contract guys, boy, you can count on less than one hand how many you gave a contract to post Hilton Costanzo all the way up to like, I guess Jack Doyle got one kind of early in the Ballard tenure, but like no yeah. one else really did. It was maybe a punter or a long snapper, or Kenny Moore. Like there was kind of a three or four year drought there um, that he that he had that. On that point, let's quickly run down some of the own free agents that the Colts have that he mentioned. I've told you guys this for the last few months, and Chris certainly put it into words today on the record. That dude loves T.Y. Hilton. Mm-hmm. He loves T.Y. Hilton. Now, I got the sense, and I want to look a little bit more into it, and we'll talk about this for a while, but I got the sense, Chris, it was a little bit of, um, yeah, I went up and hugged T.Y. before the Buffalo game and told him I loved him. It almost, I, I got the sense almost like, yeah, you are hugging him, and it could be the end sort of thing. Like, this might be a final hug or a final game, and I don't know. Maybe I'm reading way too much into it, but he still feels like Hilton has value, and that's obviously something that um, I think they will look into wide out and trying to improve there. He's very bullish on Michael Pittman, as he should be, and and Zach Paschal, who's a restricted free agent as well. But, again, um, that was something that he mentioned about Hilton. Who else? You know, I guess Marlon Mack, you know, uh, talk about another yeah. guy that when you refer to that comment you just made, Chris, about the second contract, boy, I mean, I don't think I've ever heard him say a player deserves a good contract. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah, you lose a lot of leverage right there as a general manager, but again, goes to show you what they think of Marlon Mack. And now what Marlon Mack's market is going to look like is fascinating to me. I, I who, I mean, who's going to take a chance? Is someone going to say, all right, Achilles injuries, they aren't as bad as maybe they once were. Or I, I don't know. I think they're still pretty bad. Yeah. But who's going to say, all right, here's three years and $21 million, Marlon Mack? Is that absurd? Uh, to me, it seems like it. But he also threw out there, you know, I, I would love a backfield of a Taylor, Mack, Hines, Wilkins, mm-hmm. you know, moving forward as well. So, again, bullish on Marlon Mack to say the least. Uh, who else am I missing that he talked about today? You asked him about Rock and his development as a second-year yeah, cornerback. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, he definitely was not like ripping rock. You know, he knows ups and downs. There's got to be improvement. He used the example of Charles Tillman getting you know torched by Steve Smith in a playoff game, and boy, if Rocky seen as a Charles Tillman in his career, up. yeah, I think I'll walk around the circle naked. But who's now an FBI agent, I believe. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Good for Peanut. Um, don't want him knocking on your door. No. That dude might steal some things, mm-hmm. honestly, with how great of a turnover man he yeah. was in the NFL. Um. You know, he knows Rock has improvements to make, and it, corner is tough. And he said the same thing about kind of Kamoko Turi and Ben Banagu. Turi, I think, more physically related. Didn't feel like the ankle was all the way back. Um, wasn't as maybe – I gave him the chance to to answer. I asked him, you know, this time last year, you beat yourself up so much for lack of depth, yep. lack of secondary depth especially. What's on your mind right now? Yes, you won 11 games, but, you know, what's you know something's got to be on your mind. Outside of O-line depth, I don't really think he mentioned anything specifically, which, again, you guys have heard me talk about that. You know, that was a huge mistake he made in not getting more backup offensive tackle help. But, out, you know, again, I can't think of really. It was, it was mostly line, yeah. Yeah, that was the one thing that stood out to me. Well, let's do talk about Anthony Walker. Um, again, another player that, you know, it sounds like Chris talking about his son. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought he did a great job of acknowledging exactly the factors in Anthony Walker's future. Anthony Walker wants to play more and probably wants to have a chance to start. Yeah. Unless you're in base, he's not starting here. Mm-hmm. Bobby Okereke and Darius Leonard are your starters, and they're not coming off the field. But he also said, you know, if Anthony Walker wants to get into coaching, he'll be an NFL head coach one day. If he wants to get into scouting, he'll be an NFL general manager one day. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously extremely high praise I, you know, from the interactions I've had with Anthony Walker. He is a brilliant mind, Northwestern kid. Um I've started to use kid more now that I've turned 31 and became a father. <laughs> I just refer to everyone that's yeah. younger than me as a kid. I mean, Am I allowed? You're allowed. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Part of me is like, geez, I'm really old. But um, what else? You got anything else over there that, that, that kind of stood out to you? Those were the main ones. He did talk about Xavier just a little bit. Um, How about Eason? You know? And he touched on a point that everyone made. He's like, I can't, we can't really, we lo- we like Jacob. We think Jacob's a smart guy. We haven't really seen Jacob because of the yeah. off-field stuff or the no preseason, no no training camp, the things that we all knew about. So it, it screwed everyone, but it screwed everyone because of what was going on. And Ballard did a great job at the start of his press conference to mention each and every person in that front office that when you're watching a game, you don't know their names, but there's so many people and integral parts that make an NFL season and game go on. And I, I give Chris a lot of props for really touching on those people and how much they did each and every day just to make sure it happened. Yeah, he certainly rattled off a long list. And like you said, so many names that are foreign to a lot of people, even to me. I mean, I know some of those names, but not all of them. And Yeah, I mean, what the NFL has done is remarkable. You know, I, I was a little bit more bullish on the NFL pulling this off than most, but still, I, you know, outside of a Denver quarterback room and mm-hmm. a Ravens and Titans, I mean, really, that was it in terms of, and knock on wood, we hopefully these last, you know, four games this weekend and three more after that. God, that's so sad. There's I only know. seven games left in the NFL <laughs> stadium, or NFL season, I should say. Um, okay, let's, let's do talk about Eason, Chris, because yes. I really thought, Yes, he threw in the caveats of how difficult the offseason was for his development, but I thought he was much more public in his praise of Jacob Eason than I expected him to be. Now, 
he really appreciated how Eason worked. And I think the exact quote was just shut up and worked. That's part of it with Eason. You know, there there were some questions about, you know, he goes to the SEC and he's a true freshman starting there. And, you know, that's a boy. I, you walk into Athens, Georgia, and you're a freshman starting the SEC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, girl playbook, girl playbook. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> You know that's that's uh boy I think we all know what ninety nine percent of the uh, audience would 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 do but um and then he goes back to his hometown and there's some pressure there starting right. for Washington so I think there have been some questions about him leadership wise about him work ethic wise this is not like I don't want anyone to sit here and think this is like Johnny Manziel there's just like there's amount of responsibility that comes to the quarterback position that makes the standard of your work ethic higher than anybody else in that locker room mm-hmm. rightfully or wrongly. But life, hey, when you get paid the amount of money these quarterbacks get paid, that's the expectation that comes with it. And I think he was very pleased with how Eason worked, which, again, that's half the battle, I think, in creating this quarterback prospect. Uh, he told a great story about how he was on the field before one game, and an opposing coach comes over to him and goes, who is that? <laughs> I'm pointing to Eason, throwing yeah. the ball to wideouts. And, like, we've talked about this in training camp. Eason, you watch Jacob Eason in training camp wearing a red jersey, and you'll walk off the field saying, why isn't that dude starting? Mm-hmm. Like, he is that good of a thrower of the football. But as Chris mentioned, live bullets. Nothing was thrown at him mm-hmm. from that. He never took off the red jersey all year. He, you know, that's just part of what 2020 was for him. He didn't say that he's – he doesn't know if he's comfortable right now having Eason as the backup. He didn't mention that. Um, but, again, I thought overall a little bit higher praise for him – than I would have expected going into it. Um, well, you know there's going to be people that nitpick every press conference and that dive in, and Kevin, he did mention Eason's name before Jacoby's. Yeah, he did, and, and, and um, you know, he did offer his his normal 30 seconds to a minute praise of Jacoby, like I feel like every Colts press conference has to have, but, um, you know, he didn't slam the door shut on Jacoby either. Coming back, I – um. Again, man, I just thought he was really, really bullish on on Eason. Um, you know, it's something to the effect of they're going to look over this next month, and I think that will deem a little bit more of okay. What does quarterback look like? Do you bring a veteran in here to compete with you know Jacob to be the backup? Is Philip going to be resigned? All of those things. Um, so yeah, that, I guess that kind of covers the whole Eason thing. It was just that compared to what Chris Ballard said about him when he was drafted last April to now, it's taken a bit of a 180. Now, obviously there are several more hurdles to clear for Jacob Eason, um, but that was there. The whole Quentin Nelson offensive tackle thing, unfortunately he was asked specifically about that and he got on a minute to two minute long tangent about Anthony Costanzo and rightfully so, Yeah, but, um, all of a sudden, I think he forgot that he was asked about Quentin Nelson. So then he didn't really answer specifically Nelson at left tackle. He just covered the O-line in general. He said that he feels like they've got you know four damn good players, mm-hmm. I think was the quote he used, Nelson, Glowinski, Braden Smith, Ryan Kelly. And then he mentioned Danny Pinter and Will Holden, yes. the, guy, the guy who started for Costanzo against Pittsburgh, who I thought held his own and then unfortunately suffered an ankle injury, which then Jared Veldier had to come here and all that. He mentioned those two guys as maybe kind of you know younger players that they're that they're intrigued by. So he also threw in, you know, we have to upgrade there. Obviously, depth 
was an issue as he uh, as he talked about earlier, and Frank Reich and him, I think, both align on just how important the O line is. So, my initial gut reaction is like they probably will go outside the building to find a left tackle, but I don't know. I might be putting too much into like <laughs> literally this presser ended an hour ago. So he was also asked about the speed at receiver, and yeah. his response was, "We were eighth in the league in." Uh, Explosive plays. Explosive yeah. plays. Yeah, chunk plays. Yeah, they were. Um, Which was a number that honestly did catch me off guard. Yeah, they were eighth in the league. Obviously, not a lot of just strictly like vertical plays, but I think you know chunk plays. It's either like I don't know. The Colts kind of I think do it maybe fifteen yards or twenty yards. I think the Colts are really good in like the intermediate chunk plays. Mm-hmm. You know, not like forty-five, fifty-five through the air, but like twenty-two, twenty-eight. I mean, we saw it in the playoff game. I mean, Pittman was terrific getting to that second level. Right. Uh, some great route concepts as I went back and watched the All-22 of that. And, again, this is, goes back to what I was saying uh, in the aftermath of that loss. Frank Reich did a lot of good on Saturday as well. It shouldn't get lost in some of the decision-making as well. Um, love Zach Pascal, And I thought he was a little bit higher on the tight end group, especially Trey Burton, than I thought he would be. Um, pretty, you know, pretty high on really all of them. And then also would throw in there, you know, I'd love to add that dominant F, you know, right. is, who we called it at the tight end spot or certainly a little bit more explosive nature at receiver and the Hilton, you know, domino will play a lot into that. Uh, he wasn't as down on the edge rush group as I thought he would be. I'm like, I get it. It takes a little time for rushers. Boy, he took a direct shot at Ryan Griggs. Or indirect, but I mean, I, boy. He was like, uh, you know, they had a player here who they gave away, and he went to <laughs> Buffalo and had, you know, yep. whatever. And I'm like, oh, boy. Um, yeah, pray for Ryan Grigson and, and, and seeing that. Uh, and to be fair, I thought Jerry Hughes had a lot of chances in those first first three years for, for what it's worth. But uh, it does seem like that edge group, again, Ture, more the ankle. Banigou, it was a direct statement. You know, he's he, he's got to come on more. Um, Al-Kadeem Muhammad, he was, you know, liked Justin Houston. Danico Autry still feels like Houston can can play. So um, he also, again, would throw in there that that's the fuel to the defense. That's That has to be ignited a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So um, I do think that's a part of it as well. So Yeah, and with, with Trey Burton, I, I like the aspect that you can see that a GM and a coach work together. And his hesitancy of, you know, Frank came to me about Trey, and yeah. I was kind of hesitant with the injuries, but – you know, Frank's a coach, and he said bring him in, and I was actually very pleased with a lot of the plays that he made for us this season. Yeah, and, and felt like Trey brought a, brought a lot to that locker room yeah. as well. And he's a free agent. You know, we should mention that um, too. So I guess the last couple points, Chris, just real quickly, and if you have anything else, feel free before we move into Twitter questions. Uh, I think this is for the second straight year he said this, that he's willing to bring in a player that might have a bit of a checkered past. It feels like the locker room is in place. Now, I, and again, I thought he said that last year at the Combine, but I know a lot of people were – it wasn't really on my radar to ask him because I thought we were at that point, mm-hmm. Like, but I, I thought it was a very fair question to ask. And uh, he did say that. You know, I don't, I'll don't. i have to look at the free agent list. I don't know if Juju Smith-Schuster would qualify as, I don't know, a bit checkered. I don't know if it's necessarily off the field with him as just a guy that likes to misbehave Yeah, more so than anything. And then lastly, um, he is – extremely backing of his head football coach and the aggressive nature. Mm-hmm. And I asked, you know, Chris directly, and I didn't think I'd get a great answer, and I didn't. You know, where do you want to see Frank improve? He's not going to share that publicly, which, whatever, you know, I, you, you shoot your shot and you see what happens. 
he strongly agreed with Frank and going for the fourth and goal yes, he did. late in the first half. He mentioned how Buffalo had scored the last three weeks, how many points, and just how explosive. And then that's when he got into the we still shouldn't allow a 96-yard drive, and Gabriel Davis made some crazy plays, and you had the dumbass offsides penalty. <laughs> and then he, and I appreciated this, he brought up a point about when they faced Tennessee earlier in the year on Thursday night football and how they got stuffed on the goal line yes. to start the second half, I believe it was, on a very similar situation. A little bit, I think the down and distance was shorter. I think it was actually fourth and goal, maybe from the one. I think Taylor got stuffed, if I'm not mistaken. Some some running back did. Um, and then all of a sudden, Tennessee gets the ball in their own goal line. They shank a punt. And that really just turned the whole game around. Or EJ Speed blocked the punt after that. And, and all of a sudden, the Colts are up by a couple scores. I get what Chris was saying. I also think to myself, and I know Tennessee's offense has been a little bit more explosive this season than I think most people believe, but like Buffalo's offense is still in a different stratosphere. Yes. So that would be my only kind of pushback on that. And that's why I'm a big believer in like your decisions have got to be so game by game oriented. You can have this overall philosophy of aggressive and all that, but your aggression versus the Chiefs and your aggression for the Bengals. Two different ends of the spectrum there. So, again, the overall philosophy, but as every head coach says, we're just trying to win this game. When What do we need to do to win this game? I think that has to be taken into consideration when you play some of these teams. It goes back to Jacksonville 2018 when they got shut out down there, 6 nothing, yep. and they had all those missed opportunities in the red zone and went for fourth down a couple times. You're facing Cody freaking Kessler. <laughs> You know, that's Adam Vinatieri healthy back then. Right. Go have Vinny kick three field goals and you're going to win the game 9-6. to six. Yeah. Like, so I think that's something that just has to, you know, keep in mind. I agree with the overall general approach of we want to be aggressive. That's what works today in, in 2020 NFL. Yes, I wholeheartedly agree with you there. But game flow, your opponent, injuries, all those things matter. It goes back and – I guess I'm getting on a bit of a tangent here. It goes back to the fourth and four decision against Houston, Reich's first year in overtime. Yes. You want to be aggressive? Okay. T.Y. Hilton got hurt in that game. Jack Doyle got hurt in that game. So Andrew Luck is throwing the ball to Chester Rogers with the game on the line. You know, like that's where I think you got to think, okay, what is my – who's my personnel here? Like what? what's – should I scheme something up a little differently here? Like, that was just a simple, you need Chester to beat your guy in man. Now, Andrew didn't throw a good pass at all, but still, um, I think that's stuff that you have to keep in mind as well. Right. Anything okay. else, man? No, I think, you, I think you touched on all of it. Obviously, it was a great press conference, and you'll have an article written up about it. Yeah, it's up on the site now, so check that out, full notebook, and then obviously we'll have a lot of different storylines to play off of that um, throughout the rest of the offseason. Cool. Well, let's jump into Twitter questions. This one's from Sam. It says, all season we saw the Colts play with fire like you mentioned. Do you think they're shooting themselves in the foot? Let's start with those Ballard ones. Okay. Um, I think I sent those to you before the pod started. So if you have your email, check those. We had a few Ballard ones that, um, specifically from the presser that I wanted to get to. Um, again, these are Ballard-related questions. Then we'll get into kind of our normal flow. So whenever you got those. This um, is from Jay. Let me know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Said, I found that it was a less clear statement of in Ballard's press in Ballard's plan than last year when he literally called the three technique being the biggest need. It doesn't seem like he clearly told us what was going to, what he was going to do this year. Do you think this was a result of Ballard a 
being more happy with overall direction of the roster. B, he still needs to evaluate Rivers and the other key free agents. Or C, he already got a plan that he's working on and doesn't want to tip competition to what he wants to do. He's already got a plan. He's going to trade up for Justin Fields, man. I mean, that's, you know, he's not going to tell anybody that. Great observation by Jay. Um, again, a little bit less direct. Now, some of that is you go 7 and 9 versus you go 11 and 5, and you feel like your roster's in a better place. It was not as direct, certainly. Um, you know, I don't know how much I, I should read into that. I mean, obviously, like, how is left tackle? not a need, you know? Like, how is edge rusher long-term not a need? How is a receiver even long-term to complement Pittman and Campbell? Campbell is another guy that Ballard talked about. Just chalks up the injuries to bad luck. Yep. Doesn't feel like this is an injury-prone guy. And as I've said numerous times, that staff loves Paris Campbell. Um, so, yeah, Jay, I, I, I wish I had a better answer for you there, just on, like, <laughs> knowing his exact plan. Uh, and part of me says this about quarterback. I'll try my best, but if the Colts are doing their job right, we won't know that they're trading up for a quarterback, you know? like, yeah. And we should know. I mean, did anyone walk into the 2018 draft and say, oh, yeah, Mahomes, Watson, they're going to be taken by Kansas City and Houston, who start the night drafting 27 and 29 overall. Mm-hmm. Like, No, you know, so you got to make sure that, and that's why the people in the building that will know that decision are probably in no certain order uh, – Maybe Jim Irsay, although I'm like, well, you might take the Twitter account away from him for the night. Jim Irsay, Frank Reich, Nick's, maybe not even Nick Sirianni, Chris Bowden, Ed Dodds. Like, that's it. So, um, yeah, very good question, Jay. I'm going to quickly jump in on the, on the piggyback there of Dodds. He's being interviewed with a lot of places. If he goes somewhere else, you don't want to sabotage your former boss, but you know a little bit more than other people do. You do, and, I, and I'm glad you brought that up. It does look like the Lions found their new GM. I know he interviewed there, so that looks like Dodds could be coming back. And yep. Ballard did mention, as of now, he expects the staff back, but he can't say that for certain. You know, things can obviously be fluid, and I think by staff he means scouting and coaching as well. But, yeah, that that's what is fascinating about it, Chris. And, honestly, I don't think you're deciding in December or January you're trading up for the number whatever yeah. overall pick. Like, I do think that is a process that has to play out. But it's also a process, you have to remember, the Jets traded with you from 6-3 to three back in 2018 right before, or I should say, yeah, from 6-3, to three, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, right before the start of free agency that year. Like, you, you need to move up before free agency starts, in my opinion, because then you need to know what you're doing. Like, what are you doing with Rivers? What are you doing with Dak Prescott? What are you doing with a possible trade, something like that? So that is just something to keep in mind as well. All right, this is from Jason. Talked on this a little bit with the Ballard thoughts. Uh, when asked about mobile quarterbacks being evaluated in NFL, in mo- at, at the way the NFL is moving, do you think the, quote, eventual all quarterbacks will be able to throw from the pocket, end quote, comment was hedging on Rivers slash draft picks like Trask? He's too smart not to see what's working in today's NFL. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely a brilliant, brilliant human, but, I mean, that's kind of been the Colts. Like, that's been a bit of their M.O. Now, he scouted Patrick Mahomes pretty seriously and knows that Mahomes can make some plays, you know, out of your, um, out of the pocket and, and, and things like that. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that's something to where I think you have to look at it and, and realize that their traits are mental processing at the quarterback position, accuracy at the quarterback position, 
I don't think they're like ignoring the mobility factor, but I I I don't think it's as top of mind now. You know, again, is Chris playing things cl- close to the vest here? Does he feel like that is a little bit more? I mean, how do you not watch Josh Allen on Saturday and think? Yeah. I mean, I've gone back and watched that game several times now. I mean, honestly, outside of the flick to Diggs down the middle of the field, which was just an uh, outstanding play in his own right, everything he made was outside of the pocket. Like, Yeah, he made some throws inside of the pocket, but for the most part, all those big plays are outside of the pocket mm-hmm. and largely off script. So... Like we talked about, how do you not see Watson the last two months, the last you know month of the season? How do you not see Allen and not you know mm-hmm. seek that out or try to? All right, this is an interesting one from Scotty. Says to me, it seems like Ballard is not only a great GM, he's also genuine with his answers and honest as he can be. Does dealing with him and Reich make your job easier? And where do you compare the others that you've dealt with in the past? Well, they they are a tremendous duo in terms of candid and access. Um, it does. I think it makes my job easier and it also makes the fan more of a fan you know like you're getting some insight Mm -hmm. there are a lot of coaches I mean I watched Sean McDermott's pressers last week I mean oh my gosh Chris I'd rather talk to the wall Mm -hmm. Uh, now damn good football coach but like there isn't just the same amount of access and transparency that and and I I mean I will say this I think a part of it is their predecessor specifically Ryan Grigson didn't provide enough of that I guarantee you the Colts relayed that to Chris Ballard very early. I think Chris is naturally like that, but they also relayed that to Chris very early on, and that has contributed to him being pretty accessible. Now, is he, like, the most accessible person? No. Like, this year, he didn't do the Colts Monday night shows. Usually he does those every quarter. Great insight, kind of quarterly recaps. I'm thinking, you're having a really nice year record-wise. You aren't doing those. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, who knows? Is that COVID-related? I, I, you know, was it too much on his plate? Who knows? But, you know, that is something that he elected not to do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they are – and I've, you know, I, I have talked to both of them since the season's ended and thanked them for that because I do think it is such um, – it's not a guarantee around the NFL – for people to be like that. So it does help me out. It helps you guys out. It helps this podcast out, certainly. And if if I'm going to nitpick at all, I would say I wish Frank was as candid about the defense as he is the offense. You know, at times I just want to be like, you are the head coach. You oversee the defense, too. Mm-hmm. Like, you can, you can rip some people, not rip them, but you can critique them in more of a serious manner, like he does with the offense. I think he's pretty honest about the offense. So, yeah. Coco feels like we got to bring Rhodes back. Saw him tweet something about moving, though. Do you know what any word on that? Like moving houses? I I don't know. I've not checked his Twitter. Yeah. Um. Let me pull it up. I don't. Um. I know Chris Ballard. I asked Chris specifically about Xavier today, and he had a lot of nice things to say about him, as you would expect. But I I think that's something that could get to free agency, man. You know. It's just. He just seems like a dude that's going to want to cash in. I mean, he, he took about a, what, $9 million pay cut, I think, to come here, which he was forced to with the Vikings. But yeah. Oh, yeah, Xavier Rhodes. I know I'm not the only one that hates the process of moving. Coco, I don't know. I'd say over 50% of the Colts roster lives somewhere else in the offseason. <laughs> so I think that is what – and if you're Xavier Rhodes, you signed a one-year deal here. Are you really going to move your family in COVID? I mean – I know at times Eric Ebron just had his family in Houston and then would kind of play right. you know, wherever the city is. So that's not as rare. No, don't. Let, 
let's not freak out. Yeah, I hate rearranging a room, let alone moving. Yeah, oh, moving sucks. <laughs> Trust <laughs> me, I'm not. I couldn't agree more. I should have favorited that that tweet, but uh, yeah. All right, now we'll jump to Sam's, Sam's question. Uh, all season, we saw the Colts play with fire, like you've mentioned. Do you see them shooting themselves in the foot? Was a small part because of the fairly young, because they're fairly young, and for this core, it was only their third playoff game. Not saying the moment was too big for them, but maybe they need to learn to, to play in the playoffs, and Saturday was a learned experience. Sam, I think that's definitely part of Saturday, and you know, one of the, I don't know, I guess it's a benefit. I, you know, I think you could, you, you'd rather win, but you know, if we're going to get go with your Colleen Bowen looking for positives from Saturday. I do think this is one of them. Um, I'll say this, Chris. I think at times the moment was a bit too big for some of them. You know, I mean, Kamoko Terry offsides. Mm-hmm. Hot Rod missing a 33-yarder. Jonathan Taylor, two drops. And we haven't seen Taylor drop a ball all year. So, and, and am I stunned by that? Am I, am I like, totally ripping these guys? I mean, Terry, it's a mental mistake. But, like, no, I mean, that's I mean, the playoffs are the playoffs. I mean, that's a big freaking deal. So I wasn't stunned by that. And look at Buffalo. You know, last year they blow a 10-point lead. Now they come back this year, and even they had some nervy moments, I think, late. I mean, they got that two-score lead, and it was like, oh, boy, yep. you know, hold on for dear life sort of feeling from here. But I think just getting over that initial hump is so big, Chris, and it is something that I think every team, every era goes through. So I do think it is a bit of a, a learning process, and obviously there's a ton of the young core that's going to be here for years to come. Michael wants to know why anyone isn't discussing the elephant in the room. Frank being outcoached in every must-win situation, he always makes a bonehead call that changes the game. He needs to be a head coach or an offensive coordinator, not both. Yeah, I don't agree with the he always makes a bonehead play call that changes the game. That's um, that's a ludicrous statement, to be honest with you. Um, but I will say this. I do think his game management has to improve to be a better football team that can consistently win in January. Like that's everything we talk about on this podcast is going towards that. How do the Colts become a team that is now not in a six year drought from winning the division? I mean, think about that. I mean, they've gone six years without winning the AFC South. Every other team in this division is so all these things go into again, how do you be a more consistent team in January and then go on those sorts of runs? But I just thought he got outmanaged big time in the second half on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And I do think at times, is there too much on his plate? I think that's a very fair statement. People that are, that are like, oh, yeah, take the play calling away from him. I think play calling's his strength. No, <laughs> I think he needs to find that game manager. And that dude, I don't know who it is, booth, sideline, special teams coordinator, I don't know who that person is. But that person you have to give the most trust of anybody on your coaching staff during those 60 minutes of football, and they've got to make those quick decisions for you. Because throwing a challenge flag when you did, that can't happen. I went back and watched, and Saturday, Chris, they've got the ball with 28 seconds to go. And they don't even use the middle of the field. Mm-hmm. I know you don't have any timeouts. You could throw a 15-yard seam route, and even Phillip Rivers can get up there and spike it with 12 seconds to go. Like, I am the desperation mode that team got into with 28 seconds to go was frightening to watch. And again, they hadn't been in those situations this year. So that was always a concern of mine, but um, I thought Sean McDermott, like, just a little thing that Sean McDermott did on Saturday. Pittman fumbles the ball out of bounds. McDermott believes his defense is gassed, clearly. He knows the clock is running. He waits till Rivers gets all the way up to the line 
that clock has now dropped as much as it's going to drop, and Rivers is literally getting ready to take the snap, and then McDermott takes a timeout. So the Colts have had to waste seven or eight seconds to line up, get ready to go. Those are just little subtleties that Sean McDermott was playing chess and Frank Reich was playing checkers in the second half. And I don't use that lightly because I think Frank does the flip a lot of the time with his play calling and his overall game plan. But certainly, late game, that was a that was piss poor management on a on a very big stage. The key master wants to know what was the biggest blunder, Ture on the offsides or Hank's onside bobble? Oh, come on. <laughs> we can't go Hank back. I mean, we go Hank basket? For me, I mean, one was in the Super Bowl and one was in the first round of the playoffs. This isn't even a question. I mean, the Super Bowl? I'll say this, Chris. The um, the basket was more of a physical thing. The Ture one was mental. Yeah. You know, basket was right there. I mean, right there. I mean, that, well, jeez, I don't even know why we're talking about it. <laughs> I mean, hey, at least he's going home to somebody that's Hank That's basket. true. Yeah, he has a playmate wife, right? I think they got divorced, but. Oh, well, fun while it lasted. Welcome in. Yeah. All right, this sorry if I botched the name, Ricardit, I'm going to go with. says, I think the three-fourth throwing motion on Rivers is the reason he couldn't connect with Pittman in the fourth down. A soft touch, little lob, was in order for the ball to accurately be placed in Pittman's hands. River ha- Rivers has elite accuracy but lacks that resource. He just throws on the line. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, there are limitations to his game. You know, I— I think he's overall a pretty accurate guy, but certainly balls get tipped, balls get batted down. I'd say more with him. Uh, maybe that's something to do with his motion a little bit. Uh, but, I mean, I, I don't know. That's that's not maybe as high on the list. His throwing motion is not as high on the list as the lack of mobility and just the lack of zip, mm-hmm. I think, on some of those down-the-field throws. This one comes from Brett. So many times this year I've not only thought but have heard you and others say, if you show me that box score, you'd say the Colts win. Why do you think they can play that well when the turnover battle, rushing yards, time of possessions, field position, etc., and not come up with the win? Love the pod and all the material that you put out there. Yeah, Brett, thank you for that. Um, I, I think it's a really good question, and it's uh, kind of a difficult one to answer, to be honest with you. Um, you know, maybe something that stands out, Chris, is just those those couple of individual plays. You know, for that Buffalo game, it really boiled down to the red zone. I mean, all of it boiled down. If you look at, you can look at all the stats and look at two of two and two of five in the red zone and be like, okay, mm-hmm. that's the difference right there. And I just think when you look at individual plays, I thought Allen made a few more with his legs, and the Colts didn't. I know those plays, you know, show up in the box score a little bit, but your quarterback and the big play elements to your offense can just mask a lot of deficiencies that you have elsewhere. And so I think the Colts' approach on Saturday was more of a methodical approach that was necessary to win. The Bills' approach is more of <laughs> quick strike, quick strike. That And that can get a little hairy when you look in the box score and you're trying to sift through it. Okay, why did this happen? Why did that happen? So I would just say the explosive nature at a couple of big spots, Brett, is probably what can hide a, oh, your field position sucked and your time of possession wasn't very good. That's really what, what matters. All right, Kevin, this one comes from Gary, who's been a fan of the Colts since 1984, and he says he doesn't recall hearing the Colts be that emotional after a loss ever. You have obviously seen more behind the scenes than I have. First off, what was your sense? As well as, if so, what do you feel contributed to those emotions? No one in this pod space does what you and Chris do, not even close. Wow, thank you, Gary. Wow, thanks, Gary. I 
and appreciate all your loyalty. I know you've been following along for quite a while. Um, yeah, I would agree. That was a pretty emotional loss. Honestly, I think a lot of it had to do with Rivers, to be frank, in that you know, he said after the game, is this my last time walking up this tunnel? And it's a true tunnel right. in Buffalo. Everyone walks out of that same tunnel there on the on the whatever end zone that is. And for Rivers, you know, how do you not think another playoff exit? Is this the last one? Is this just going to be what my resume is? Am I, you know, trying to win a 3A state title in Alabama next year? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's, that's reality. And I, I think also just Gary, others just, other of those guys, they just flat out believed. They believe they're going to win that football game. And when you're in the moment, yeah, that emotion's real. This wasn't Kansas City, you know, playoff game two years ago. I mean, you had a legit chance to win that game yeah. until whatever, 10 seconds ago or all of that. So, and I think all the mistakes too. I mean, that's, you know, when you think about that, that's the difference between a trash bag being at your locker Sunday morning mm-hmm. or the Chiefs playbook being at your lock and when you break it down like that and obviously you know playbooks go on ipads now and whatnot but you, you know what i'm saying yeah um and, and you know credit frank frank got that team to believe and i think that's another element that you have to give him some some praise for all right another question from sam says philip or says in reich's first two years as a tenure of the colts we've been really good in the red zone but this year we were near the bottom of the league and td scored in the red zone what's your explanation of this as much as fans hated eric ebron he gave the Colts a versatile threat in the red zone from the tight end position, and I feel like the, a lack of that hurt them. Yeah, Sam, I actually think that's a good point. Um, you know, when you get in the red zone, Chris, it, it's less room to scheme. You know, it's obviously a confined um, area of the field. The quick rhythm kind of goes out the window because the defense is playing naturally close to the line of scrimmage, and I think it's easier to play run D. So, you know, some of the strengths you think of the Colts, scheme, yep. quick rhythm, run, is kind of going away, I, and I've always been a believer it's players, not plays down there. And then again, that run threat at quarterback. You know, why do teams go to the Wildcat inside the 10? You know, why, why do colleges bring in the other QB to come into that shorter area of the field? It's for that other added element mm-hmm. to the game. I thought, you know, they could have I, – I didn't think they did a good enough job of using Moali Cox and Michael Pittman's size in that area of the field as well. I think that held this team back as a red zone unit. But, again, I know Saturday's so recent, but look at Saturday. Two touchdowns for Josh Allen. One's a read option. The other's a Tebow pop pass. Legs. Legs, legs, legs. This one's from Tanner, who wrote this after his trip back to Knoxville for school. Oh, you Uh, like that? I do like that. Uh, He was listening to your Anthony Costanzo emergency podcast. That's uh, up on the website, obviously, as well. Thank you. Yeah, for those that missed it, all Costanzo that uh, came out on Tuesday. says, I wanted to ask if you think that Anthony Costanzo retiring alters the decision to bring back Rivers next year. Doesn't that change the mindset on quarterbacks going into the offseason? It's a really interesting question, Tanner. I, I wouldn't think so, but it's fair to ask, you know. Um, now, I, I just think Rivers, is he's so wired to play football. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think he's like, oh, boy, if they start Will Holden, I'm not going to come back, you know. What? I don't know. Maybe it would help him a little bit, but you know, I think he loves the game so much. I, I would still be surprised if if Rivers hung it up. But you know, it is fair to say, okay, what about the Colts wanting Rivers more because he can hide, you know, a left tackle that might be susceptible a little bit. You know, if you look at what you did in that Houston game, how quick rhythm was that? You know, when when Costanza wasn't in the lineup. Yeah. All right, this one's from Tyler. He wants to know if Eberflus gets hired somewhere else. Does that affect? the future of, say, Anthony Walker 
or Xavier Rhodes on the Colts when it comes down to scheme? I, I don't. I mean, I, I think, again, personnel and system, they're going to keep. You know, do you bump up Allen Williams? You know, he's your corner coach or he's your safety coach right now, was a DC in Minnesota before. Um, I would be shocked if they drastically change systems. It, it doesn't really matter to me. Um, but, I mean, if a new DC comes in here and wants, I don't know, Rhodes to play more man. I don't know, maybe a little, but I, I fully expect the same system and personnel to be wanted. This one's from Jordan. If Rivers does come back, what does his contract look like? $25 million again or something cheaper? Oh, it can't be $25 mil. Yeah, I mean, who knows what the cap will look like, Chris, but I would say 16 to 18-ish. Nothing, I don't know, nothing Nothing to, uh, no, it, it, it can't be 25 again. All right, this is from Trouble Man, who kind of goes back to what you spoke about earlier. said, considering Frank's inability to effectively call plays and make sound critical coaching decisions, does it make sense for him to seek help like an assistant coach or whatever it may be as it relates to challenges, making fourth down decisions, analyzing game flows, etc.? says, I feel like Frank zones out and gets too excited and aggressive and, it, and, it, and in turn doesn't make smart football moves. I think in those moments he needs a voice of reason to bounce some ideas off of. I know he's a man of God and all, but he clearly <laughs> likes to gamble. <laughs> oh, that was a good one. Thank you for that, Trouble Man. Um, you know, play calling is so key, Chris, because it's always thinking a play ahead. Mm -hmm. And then when the defense is on the field, you're getting ready to plan for the next drive. So just naturally, how much can you pay attention to the other aspects of the game? You're so locked into what is the next play call how do we adjust all of that I just think that's too much on your plate and some of it honestly I've started to think about how much of this is the second half offense struggling a bit think about it Frank scripts the first part of the game yes so you aren't thinking about that much in game you're just kind of going off what you've planned all week then you get in the second half it's not as scripted and when your mind might be elsewhere you know, that's – I don't know. I, I know there's several head coaches left that call plays, but I do think that, you know, Frank just needs to lessen that that played a little bit. Kevin, Ben appreciates your thoroughness on the podcast and interaction with listeners. Thanks, Ben. Says he sucks that we're already talking about next season, but with core players that we, cur that we currently have, is it better to surround Phillip, assuming he comes back with better weapons and potentially better pass rushing to bo boost our – defense in the offseason or do we grab a quarterback early in the upcoming draft and focus on our offseason decisions and possible acquisitions with a future replacement at that position in mind yeah shout out to ben lovers my new nephew he looks like he could be a just a road grading left guard one day <laughs> um you know ben what do you want are you maxing out every season or are you all in on the future do you want the best of both worlds? I mean, these are all questions I think you have to ask yourself with this Rivers thing. I, I tend to think you heavily favor the long term until you have that QB. And when you have that QB, maybe you can get a little bit more aggressive within it. Not totally aggressive, but a little bit more at times. That's how I view it. Um, and I, I mean, you know, reading a little bit into Chris's quotes today, I think he gets it. Like, okay, <laughs> long-term quarterback matters big time here. Uh, but I also think he feels pretty good about job security. And so I don't think he feels pressure to make that move. Rightfully, wrongly, maybe some other GMs would feel a little bit more of that pressure. Matthew and Wyatt both want to know your thoughts on Julian Blackman's emergence early in the season. Was that due to lack of game film that other teams had on him? Or has he hit some sort of a wall? Yeah, that, that was a good question. Um, maybe a little bit of a rookie wall again. I mean, 
dude tore his ACL, you know, 12, 13 months ago. I, I still really like him. I know that the big plays kind of went away late in the year. I also think we have to remember, I mean, Malik Hooker was not really around the ball that much. Mm-hmm. And so you just don't have the tendency to find the ball as much at that position as Kari Willis does, you know, or somebody like that. I would say what frustrated Chris was still the Colts allowing too many big plays late in the season. And again, some of that is on Julian Blackman. I still think he's going to be a really good player. But yeah, I mean, he definitely had a bit of a dip uh, to close out the season. John wants to know your thoughts on what's most impressive of our all-pro selections, two offensive players, two defensive players, or two special teamers? You know, that's a great question, John. Um, I would would say the defensive players just because where the franchise has been at. Mm -hmm. You know, not to like, I don't know. This is going to sound bad, but when you draft a guard at six and you draft a center at 18 overall, they better be all pros. <laughs> I mean, like, centers don't get drafted that high. Guards certainly don't get drafted that high. So, like, they need to be all pros, as crazy as that sounds. And then defensively, of course, I think, well, when you trade away the 13th overall pick, you do hope you are getting the uh, an all pro as well. But still, I mean, six all pros. Shout out to Luke Rhodes, George Odom as well. Well, well yes. deserved. Both of those guys. But, yeah, I would say defense, just where this franchise has been. And the run defense. I know I've said it before. It is so good. Matt Eberflus has done an outstanding job of the run defense. I haven't given him enough credit credit in that area. I mean, I'm just thinking back to the run defenses and the Peyton years and even, you know, that early luck tenure. Eberflus is coming here even before Buckner got here, and they've been stout. And this year they were the second-best run defense in the league. Jason wants to know, when do you expect the Colts to make a decision on re-signing Rivers? And after free agency begins, what else is out there? Um, yeah, I think, you know, Rivers gives them a decision by the end of February, it sounds like. I think both parties. Now, you might not do that publicly. Um, now, if you're bringing them back, I guess maybe you would do that publicly. But you've got to know before the start of free agency what you're going to do. Uh, but you also have to know, like, who you like in the draft before you start free agency. And that goes back to my Jets thing of the Jets felt like they had to get to three. And then they could plan the free agency from there. Do the Colts feel that need? Now, again, Kansas City and Houston, they've traded draft night. But there are teams that have traded well before that. Um, how high do you feel like you have to get? Sometimes it's like, well, if I trade a seven, now all the teams that need a quarterback, they know they got to get to the top six. Yeah. So maybe you wait a little bit there. Uh, maybe you only want to get that high if that guy's going to be there. If he goes three and you can only get a six, okay, you're going to stand pat. But if he's on the board at six, now you're going to call whoever's up there. Drew knows his team loves Anthony Walker, but he doesn't see him signing a second contract with the Colts. With that being said, do you think middle linebacker will be a priority to upgrade this offseason? No, I mean, Okariki is, yeah, I mean, he's a, he's their guy. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, maybe you need another linebacker just from like a base defense standpoint when you're playing the run-heavy teams, but no, I think that's, you got, I mean, remember what Jim Irsay said about Bob Bobby Okariki? <laughs> he called him, you know, He's going to be a Pro Bowl player all mm-hmm. this last year. Talked about him before, I think, Leonard Nelson. So, yeah, um, a bit of a need, but, again, nothing immense. All right, and Ben's going to wrap things up with this podcast Twitter questions with a crazy quarterback one for you, Kevin. Of these three, who do you think is most likely to start a quarterback for the Colts next season if Rivers retires, Trevor Lawrence, Taysom Hill, or Andrew Luck? Man, when I hear crazy quarterback, I get nervous. Uh, okay, Luck, Hill, and then who? Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> That's crazy. Trevor's down there with Urban. Yeah, and I actually think Urban will do a good job. I know I'm, I'm probably in the minority. We can talk about that later. But um, <laughs> that's absurd. Just a wild question. Taysom Hill. 
Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I can't. No. Locke, no. Lawrence, no. Wow. Um, all right. Is that everybody? That's everybody. Thank you to everybody that uh, chimed in. Obviously, I know we'll have some more reaction to the Ballard presser on next week's pod. I'm thinking midweek next week, Chris. Okay. I don't know. Tuesday, Wednesday, I'll, I'll get with you. We'll figure something out. And we'll start to get in more of an off-season mode and certainly stick with what we do every pod. Try to get to about you know, 15-ish Twitter questions every pod, but then have some sort of meaty part of it to uh, preview what is a massive offseason for this team. So as uh, as we mentioned, Chris Ballard, notebook recap up on the website. Plenty of other content from this past week. My Victor Oladipo trade thoughts as well up on the site. So you can check that out, 107.5 The Fan. Everybody have a great weekend. And uh, Chris, who you got? AFC, NFC finalists. Uh, Bills versus Saints. Ooh, you're going, wow. Oh, yeah, you're going another week on me. Sorry, okay. sorry. Uh, Bills. Chiefs? Bills, Chiefs, Packers, Saints. So you're going all home teams this week. Yeah, I'm just going to go chalk. Yeah. I think I think the heavy dogs, I think the Rams and the um, and the Browns can actually keep it interesting. I think the other two games are straight coin flips. I'd probably go with that. I'll cop out and be soft, but I do have a lot of scratch on the Saints one in the Super Bowl. So That's true, you hopefully. do. You hopefully. called it early. All right, everybody, have a great weekend, and uh, we'll talk to you next week.